this Paul Bernardo situation, we've talked about it before, and uh, it sort of shifted from Corrections Canada. There's still some questions that need to be asked there. I mean, I think when it comes to Corrections Canada and when they move prisoners from one classification to another, it, there's there's not a lot of thought. It's a checklist, right? Okay, this is, this is you know, where on this category they rank, on this category, where they, and then... Boom, that's where they belong based on that. And the name at the top of the form may not mean that much. Now we can argue that it should, but I think it mattered in, in this instance with Paul Bernardo to the point where they sent the emails to the minister in charge and said, hey, listen, this is what's happening based on our classifications. It's time to move Paul Bernardo from maximum security to medium security. Now, as we know and we've learned, those um, emails ended up somewhere in the public safety minister's office but never actually got to his desk Um at least that's what we're told. Um, and when people have said, well, how come, you know, <laughs> you didn't know? How come the families didn't know? How come none of this was made public at, that this was happening? Uh, one of the things that's been cited by our public safety minister time and time and time again, Marco Mendocino has said, well, we've got rules regarding the Privacy Act. We can't be completely transparent because the Privacy Act restricts what we can and can't do. Now, coming to light uh, through some dogged reporting by the Canadian press who put together if access to Information Act request into emails about this, we find out that the people at the Privacy Act, um, the, the watchdog, the people who sort of govern this said, yeah, no, that's not true. You certainly could have done that. Uh, there's, there's a way around it and it can be circumvented in certain cases and all the rest. So it just adds another layer to well, how do we get to this level? How do we once again have this confusion coming in? Because he could have told anybody anything he wanted to tell them if he could have made a case for it. So let's get some details on how this has become such a mess and where we are. We're going to chat with Ari Goldkind, who's a criminal defense lawyer and legal commentator. We've had him on the show before. Ari, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Always good to be with you. So, this Privacy Act, um, uh, we've seen the e emails that the Canadian press obtained access to, and, and if I read it correctly, um, if public interest outweighs privacy concerns or, you know, importance to the public, uh, there are no limitations, right? The Privacy Act says you can throw that out the window if you feel like you need to. Correct. And so that's why my role here today with you, which is often, you know, unique, interesting, and I bring some color to the table. You do. You, you, which thank you. You literally have said all that matters here, which is <laughs> the, the act itself, just to be very clear with your listeners. And there's a bigger picture here, which I think is the more important part to talk about. There's two bigger parts to this story that I think go untalked about. But the bottom line is, as much as all of these goofs, and people who pretend to work for the Canadian taxpayer who are just gaslighting everybody, throw each other under the bus, you know, or now, you know, get the lawyers involved back and forth with these fancy emails. The bottom line is anybody who has a rudimentary, and I mean this, by the way, a rudimentary understanding of the legislation and corrections is that any time there's a matter that involves the trust of the public, where sunlight is the greatest antiseptic to in in increase our confidence and faith in an institution, those are the very specific instances where you don't have to worry about quote-unquote privacy, end quote, like Paul Bernardo suing the government is something anybody should be quaking in their boots about. It's one of the silliest, 
silliest bureaucratic screw-ups of the year, but it's symptomatic of something much worse. This Privacy Act, I mean, uh, okay, I, we all understand it and all the rest of this stuff. Have you dealt with it before, Ari? I mean, is it well-known? Is this How does it fit into the framework of our legal system, prisoners, families, all the things that are at play here? So let's make it really simple, because I think the more they try and make it wonky, the more they obscure the fact that they're all incompetent, okay? Okay. The idea here really is if you're a prisoner and your name is Joe Blow, okay, and you're sitting in counseling and you're talking about all the things that were done to you as a child, okay? Or imagine you're an Indigenous offender and you were born with fetal alcohol syndrome and you're trying to better your life. You're not supposed to have either the victim's family or an intrepid journalist, you know, get the records of you sitting talking to a prison shrink and blaring your heart out and literally trying to do better. You're entitled to some privacy on that as your classification changes from maximum to medium, okay? But the second, and this is, again, part of the act, which is why this is such a crazy story. The second you're like a Robert Picton or you're a Paul Bernardo, or, you know, come up with, you know, your Ted Bundy Unabomber U.S. example, right? Mm. The, legis- the legislation itself said the public interest component in such a case trumps any offender's right to privacy. And I made the point to you a moment ago, and I was sort of being humorous, but not that humorous. What is the entire government of Canada quaking in its boots about? That Paul Bernardo is going to sue the government? What is the Omar Carter and he's going to get a $10 million check? Like, this is literally the way this bureaucracy, the corrections, the government Mendocino, who I think should have resigned over this, simply for throwing his staff under the bus. I thought that was, yeah, yeah. you know, a resignation-level thing. I mean, I wouldn't do that in my business with the people who work for me. Like, I just wouldn't do it. But somehow, we're now having Privacy Act discussions when the bottom line is, there's nothing that prevents all of this from coming out on day one. And if your listeners know the story, as I'm sure you do, they had actually gone to Minister Mendocino, who's anything but a public safety minister, and they literally had his media talking points written for they him. They did. They wrote it That's up. really important. That's really, really important. They had his media talking points written for him if he actually would have, and I don't say this without any attempt to be funny if he had literally read the memo well the thing ari is it, it you, you're talking about the talking points and they did they, they they briefed him and said listen this is this is what you need to say uh, but they also say as part of those notes ari they say quote the privacy act currently allows federal government institutions to disclose personal information if it's in the public interest but that must be made by the head of an institution on a case-by-case basis. So, and, and that's why I'm saying this is the, the part of the story about Bernardo when he moves to Quebec. Okay, great, fine. Th- that's, that part's boring to me. The fact that this is a government that can send yes. $10 billion yeah. to Ukraine, but the minister can't read a memo that's written for him so he can go in front of the cameras and talk about it, but then the next day says he's shocked and then he throws his staff under the bus. I mean, this is our government. Your listeners are listening right now, working hard to pay taxes to a bunch of clowns that waste them. That's the part that bothers me. This is incompetence at its worst, but they're trying to dress it up 
into an issue of privacy or Bernardo or corrections. This is just our government at work, and I use that term very loosely. Okay, all right, let me play devil's advocate. What about jurisdiction? Sure. Maybe it's not Mendocino's call. Maybe somebody at corrections or somebody else has to say this trumps privacy. Uh, okay. This here's, is more public interest. Here's the answer, and you know this because it's part of the memo, and I know you know this. Ann Kelly and her staff, who's the head of corrections, whatever you think of corrections, let's just play devil's advocate. Ann Kelly made it very clear to Mendocino's staff if you have any questions about this, here's my number. If you have any concerns about this, here's my number. If you need more talking points or clarification on the jurisdiction, here's my number. Rather than taking her up on that offer, it goes into like some Simpsons or family like family guy like pile of yellow sticky notes and then the staff gets thrown under the bus. So even with your devil's advocate question, all of those steps were followed by our so-called corrections person, but then you get to Mendocino, and there's a complete and utter screw-up at his office. And if you play devil's advocate for another 20 seconds, this is not Jane, uh, John Doe. This is right. not Joe Blow. Yeah. This is Paul Bernardo. Yeah. So the idea that somebody in the staff didn't bring it to his attention, I mean, we're just not being told the truth. And the reason it's a bigger story is because these are the people in charge of really big and important decisions, not ones that aren't that important but are kind of juicy, like Bernardo moving to Quebec. I'm much more interested in crime right now on the streets of Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, than I am Paul Bernardo moving to the Laurentians. But these are the people that are literally screwing up both of those files. Um, okay, all right, let's take this out of Ottawa and go back to Scarborough, where everything took place. The lawyer, Tim Danson, who reprehends, yep. represents the family, said the same thing. Nobody told him. He found out the day after Bernardo was moved, asked why? Privacy. Privacy. we got to yeah. worry about Bernardo's privacy. How does the Privacy Act fit into letting the victim's families know what's going on? So here's why, again, and I don't like the term gaslighting. I saw it in a play once, and it's overused, and it's like this, tour, this term du jour. But here's the point that let's talk about Tim Danson and more specifically the families he represents. On what planet in a country that purports to respect victims, there's actually a victim's bill of rights. People should know that, right? And as a defense lawyer, like full disclosure, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I sometimes think that that balance is skewed, that the rights of the victims, you know, are becoming too pronounced. Like in certain cases, you almost can't defend a person because it's assumed they're guilty. I have a problem with that. But when you have a guy like Bernardo, and somehow his privacy rights, you've got like, to make this make sense. A guy like Bernardo's privacy rights are so all-important and Mount Everest-like that they somehow trust the ability of Corrections Canada to say, look, we know what the Mahaffey and French families have been through. It's been hell on earth for 30 years. And for anybody who disagrees with me, God forbid your loved one is ever encased in cement and I won't say more because it's early and I don't want to make a kid ask their parent what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But the point of it is, think through what kind of idiotic country on any level, Privacy Act or not, and again, the wrong on the Privacy Act says, we won't give a heads up to the French and Mahaffey families when the most notorious killer, serial rapist in Canada, is being moved from max to medium so that now the French and Mahaffey families will have to drive to Quebec. I mean that, by the way, seriously. 
will have to drive to Quebec every time this piece of garbage applies for parole? What country respects victims' rights truly when the right hand can't pick up the phone to just call them and get give them a heads up and then the family has to find out they're being told privacy protects that when the lawyer, and I'm a lawyer, Tim Danson's a lawyer, knows that they're even wrong on the law. It's such a bizarre screw-up of circumstances that, again, it should really make Canadians have a lack of faith in that the people in charge are anything other than some people who can kiss some babies, get some signs going, and maybe talk something attractive that attracts 29 to 31% of voters. It's really concerning because, again, most people don't walk in the shoes of the French and the happy families, and if Mm. you haven't walked in their shoes, you know, I just don't know what to say to you. Hey, I want to ask you while I've got you a different topic, and I've only got a couple of minutes, Ari. So uh, bail reform. Uh, Our mayor in Edmonton has said, you know what, we've got this random attack taking, well, more than one, another guy that's out on bail. We hear this all the time over and over and over. As a guy who lives in this world, a criminal defense lawyer, what needs to change? Where do we start with this? Well, how much time do you have? And I'll cram my answer. I've only got a couple of minutes. (laughs) All right. The answer is bail is bail reform is not going to happen. It's not going to change because there's a third rail of bail. Nobody talks about it. Nobody has the guts to talk about it because it's all they're all a bunch of cowards. Until you have a discussion about who commits crime, who commits crime at a greater per capita number than their population, you will only have the people who make great money from crime increasing. And look, full disclosure. Crime increasing is good for me. I at least, mm, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I talk against my own interest, okay? But that's the risk I take because I'm also a citizen. I'm not just a criminal defense lawyer. But if you have the premise where the criminal code says, if you're either one race or one background, you're overrepresented in jails. That's what it says. That's the criminal code. And if you look at the statistics of crime, until you have an honest discussion and stop saying we need to throw more money at the problem or we need more after-school programs or everybody needs a hug or everybody can sing kumbaya, there's an extraordinarily small number of people who are committing an extraordinary significant number of crime. Over and over and, and over. until we can have a discussion about that over and over, as you say, it'll never be anything but platitudes, hug a you-know-what, and... Everybody will want more money and say all the identity politics, virtue signaling nonsense. The problem is it leads to innocent people getting killed, shot and stabbed. And by the way, the victims are often or more often than not victims from those same demographic groups. That's why the truth should matter. And in this discussion, the truth never seems to matter. Ari, I'm out of time. I got to get to a break. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.